And Dwayne White prophesied over us as a group of leaders in Philippi Suzanne were there, you may remember this, where, as he said, as you're about to move up to the next level, you, you need to make sure everything on that level is in place for you to then order to be moving up. And these two prophecies really are leading us into just a, a couple of weeks as a church where I want to talk about the culture of the house. There are, there are many people in the church who have joined recently, and you are so welcome. You are so, you're so chuffed that you're here and you're part of the family. But the reality is this, that every church has a different culture to a certain extent. And over these two weeks, this morning, next week, obviously, we're not here. We're in Jubilee. Please, please, please don't see that as a week off. Let's gather together with hundreds of other Christians in this town. And let's make a statement that we're one family in Jesus. So next week, half ten in in Jubilee Life Centre, let's gather together. uh, Danny and our worship team have got the privilege of leading worship this time. Um, Not because they're the best, but they've just been asked this time. Um, And so let's support them and let's be there and let's stand with other people. But today and in two weeks' time, we just want to look at this whole issue of culture. And we've got Dan Hargreaves with us in two weeks' time. Um, Those of you who haven't heard Dan speak, when you hear him speak, you won't forget him. Um, But but Dan is is an incredible speaker on culture and the importance of culture. If I'm honest, he's he's better than I am at it. So I'm going to try and do a start, and then he'll do the proper job in two weeks' time. Um, Because we want to really bed in and protect and strengthen the culture of the house. So I'm going to pray. And then we'll look at this together. And then we're going to have time to to worship the Lord later in the service. Father, we love you. God, I'm amazed that you want to know me. I'm blown away by your grace that you put up with me. You're so gracious and forgiving. You're so faithful. It is all about you, Jesus. And so right at the start of this morning, God, we're in the middle of the morning. We say, Jesus, you... We fix our eyes on you. We don't come with preconceived ideas. We don't come with a checklist. We don't come with a shopping list. We come on bended knee and say, Jesus, you, your vision, your heart, your your words that we need to obey, you, Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd come and erupt in every heart in this room a love for Jesus. Help us just lay aside stuff that's slowing us down and help us to run into all that you have for us as a, as a family here, as individuals, as a church. God, we just want to be all that you're calling us to be. And I pray this in your gracious, saving name. Amen. Amen. So as I said, I want to talk this morning on the power of culture. And the reality is this, every business, every school, every family, every organization has a culture. The question isn't whether it has a culture, it's whether it's a healthy culture or an unhealthy culture. Culture is is hard to define, but easy to recognize. Culture is experienced, it's felt, it's not stated in a document, it's the feeling someone has as they step into something and a sense of what people are like in that environment. It has tangible parts, but it also has intangible parts. It's not about services, systems, or structures. It's just an experience, a community of people, and how they operate develops the culture of that place. It's about people. And the healthier the people, the healthier the culture. 
So, for example, if you go to a coffee shop, and I've just chosen Starbucks, because it's a great, if you go to the next one, great example. No offence, Peter, but Starbucks isn't where it is today because it served the greatest coffee, although it is okay. Starbucks, when it was started, was launched with an emphasis on the culture of the coffee shop that as people came in, they were going to feel valued, they were going to be blown away, the experience was going to be a sense of as you went into that place, it was somewhere you wanted to come back to. And that's why it's proven so successful. Shops have cultures. If you go into a shop and someone's totally uninterested in you, the likelihood is you won't be going back to that shop. Families have cultures. If your family is the kind of family that doesn't want to have any time for one another, or if it's the kind of family that loves hanging out together, that has to do with the culture that you've created in your family. And the reality is this, the most defining thing about a local church is its culture. You can have an incredible vision statement, you can look amazing on the screen, you can have an incredible mission, vision, and all that stuff, and strategy... But if the culture is unhealthy, you're never going to walk into it. Mission and vision determine the what and the why of what a church does. Culture determines how a church feels, how a church behaves. And as I said, every single local church has a culture, and it's not always healthy. And so what we want to do over these two weeks is celebrate the culture of the house that we have here. We want to strengthen and protect it. And, and the reality is this, if you're here, you're so welcome here, but there are very, very clear values we hold in this place. And if you're not walking in these values, as a family, you've got the right to say to me and to one another, that's not how we do it here, because we really value this, because culture is created by a set of core values. And so we just want to take two weeks to look at that together, because I'm trying to introduce it. See, for me, vision is the destination and culture is the, the parameters of the road on which we walk to, to walk into that. So, for example, think of a road. We've got a vision. We've got a vision as alive as a whole, the kind of church that we see. We've got a vision for local. We want to see 500 plus people in this place running with Jesus. We want to see people falling in love with Jesus. Not about us. It's about the 44,000 people in this town who don't yet know him. That's our vision and our strategy is clear. We've got lots of things. We've got programs. We've got structures. We've got systems. We're going to tighten those up. All that's in place. But the reality is the parameters of the road we're going to walk down in order to get there is set by the culture. And if the culture isn't healthy, we're never going to walk into all that God has for us. Culture is like a set of train tracks. You can have the destination, but the reality is if the culture isn't healthy, you're not going to go on a train journey. You're going to have a train wreck. And so this morning, we just want to celebrate and establish, and I want to challenge anyone in this room who isn't living in the set of values we have in the house. And so we want to just think about this healthy culture. A guy called Tony Miller, who's a brilliant speaker, he said this, if the culture is unhealthy, the vision and strategy are impotent. So for example, if you don't create a womb that is healthy enough to receive the seed of vision, No matter how potent the seed is, if the womb is toxic, it will abort the seed. This is what Jesus taught in the parable of the sower. It is the soil and not the word that determine the growth of the seed. This is true individually. It's also true corporately. 
And so as I said, we've got 10 core values as a church. And we've thought about these in connect groups. And we're going to look at five this week. And then Dan the man is going to come in two weeks' time to look at the other five. Here are our core values. This is what we value highly as a church. Generous, entrepreneurial, youthful, relational, supernatural, excellence, honor, team, invitational, generational. Some of those words you'll be thinking, what the flipping heck has that got to do with church? And we'll look at that in a moment. But don't lose the reality behind the word. These are our core values. This is the road we're walking on as a church. And the reality is this. Culture is never taught, it's caught. It's not about me teaching it from the front. It's about us as a family living it. That is the culture of the house. And the reality is this. I'm going to be, you guys, I know you love me, so I'm just going to be challenging this morning. For those of us who are part of this church, the reality is this. Every single person in life grants them either helps make or break the culture of this church. Someone else put it this way. We are all cultural architects. So you have got a responsibility as a person in this local church to help create a healthy culture in the house. Through our words, through our actions, through our attitudes, that is how a culture is formed. Someone else put it this way. There are two types of people in every local church. Culture builders or culture busters. (laughs) Which one are we going to be? And the champion this morning said, let's go for it, because we want to protect what God's doing. And so as I said, this is what I want us to, one application from this is this. As we journey through these, if you ever see me not acting in line with any of these core values, you have a complete permission to come up to me and say, Jonas, that that isn't how we're wanting to do stuff here, is it? We, We highly value this, and that's how it's shown in doing this. And the vice versa is true. All of us. Let's challenge each other. And because all of us, we've got to recognize is this. There is no such thing as an automatic healthy culture. Because human beings are broken. None of us are perfect. All of us will do each other's heads in. It's life. Get over it. We're part of a dysfunctional family, gloriously held together by grace. And so as we journey through this, it's not a case of, oh, they're terrible at that. And, oh, yes, they need to work on that. You examine yourself before you even begin to think about others. And so this morning, let's walk through these five values. The first is generous. We want to have a culture that is drenched in generosity. And when you capture the God of the Bible, you see he's not a stingy, boring, narrow-minded little headmaster. He is an outrageously good and generous king. You see, when John writes, for God so loved the world... He's saying there, and that word world in, in John's gospel means a, a group of people who hate God, who run from God, who want nothing to do from God. And yet God so loved people who hated him, swore at him, rejected him, ran away from him. He so loved them that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Just think about the generosity of God. He owes you nothing. You're not a victim. You've got no cards to play with God at all. He owes you nothing, and yet he gave you everything. He loves you so much. And then just think about how generously we read in the New Testament. He pours out his love into our hearts in Romans. 
And then we see, I think it's in Ephesians, where he says he lavishes us with his grace. This is the God of the Bible, my dear friend. There's no poverty spirit with the God of the Bible. He's a God of abundance. He's a God who gives generously. And as a church, we want this generosity of God to be reflected in our lives too. As Tim Keller puts it, generosity is not only about money. There is more than one currency. Let your generosity be pervasive in life. You see, the God of the Bible is not resentful, bitter, or stingy. He is outrageously generous in all that he does and gives. And one of our core values is how we are together, how we are to this town, is that we want to be so generous. We want people to walk into this place and to be overwhelmed in an appropriate way (laughs) with our love for them. That anyone who walks into this place is welcome. Anyone who comes and sits down, whatever seat, is welcome. And we embrace them and we say, you're so welcome here. We want to be a church that models the generous heart of God. We want to generously give our time to one another. It's generosity that leads us to want to be in connect groups. Say, no, I want to be part of this church family, this life flow of this church. I want to step into that. We want to generously give our talent in using God-given gifts and, and just serving where there's a need at times. Just saying, I want to serve this family. I don't want to just receive, receive. I, I, I guess, no, I'm not going to say that. But it, one of the things that, is, that isn't biblical is to go to a church for a top-up. That isn't biblical. What is it to be biblical? Is to be part of a church where you, you receive, you receive, you receive. But from that receiving, you give into the local family you're part of. That is how local church operates in the New Testament. We want to be generous with our treasure into the vision of a life. Are we generously giving? And that's between you and Jesus. But Jesus knows everything you have. And he knows how much you maybe don't have. And as we give, are we giving generously into the vision of the house? And we're so thankful that so many are. We value generosity highly in this house. There's no stinginess. There's no poverty spirit in this this place where we're, oh, that amount will just do. We want generosity to flow in this place. Does that make sense? Good. I can feel it. There's a bit of, come on, God. So, number two, and this is the one that you're thinking, I don't get that, and I understand that. This is the word we plump for. Entrepreneurial. By that, we mean this. We want to have a culture that pursues creative solutions to things and has a pioneering spirit as we run into all that Jesus has for us. We want more creativity. We we just want creativity just to explode in this place. It's not natural to me. We want want creatives in this this house, as it were, to, to lead us in a creative experience of glorifying God and knowing God and enjoying God. We never want to stand still. If you're in a church that wants to stand still, you're not in the right church. If you want to be in a church that is comfortable, that is the same today as it will be in five years, you're not in the right place. I was born a pioneer. I will always be a pioneer. I want to pioneer straight into the arms of the Father, and I want to run into heaven with all my might, and I never want to slow down. And I just want to keep running into all that Jesus has for us. And so if you just want to get comfortable... You're in the wrong place. Now, we want to love each other. We champion each other. We encourage each other. But the reality is this. We're not here just for each other. 
We're here for the 44,000 who don't yet know him. And I'm longing to see a genuine touch of God in this town. Across all churches. And that's what we mean by entrepreneurial. A sense of we don't going to get stuck in a rut. We want to run. We want to push into new and deeper things. Here's a verse from the Bible that I get that from. Philippians 3. This is what Paul said. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He pressed on. He moved forward. He was pioneering into all that God has for him. And it's so easy to plateau, isn't it? Or maybe you're more holy than I am. It's so easy just to go into autopilot with the Holy Spirit, especially when you've been walking with Jesus for years. And I just want to provoke in us a fresh passion, saying, God, I want to run into deeper things with you. We want to be creative. We want to be pioneering. We want to be innovative. We want to be continually thinking, how can we do things better, more fresh, and in a creative way? Value number three is youthful. I love this one. We want to have a culture that never feels we've arrived, but in childlike faith comes to Jesus and we're willing to embrace change when it is needed. Being youthful means this. You never take the L plates off. Being youthful means this. We just come with a childlike faith and sit on the lap of our Father and enjoy Him. We just come without intensity, without legalism, without religion. We just come and enjoy God. And we just say, God, I don't have all the answers, but you do. And I'm not going to wait till you've dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. I don't know what you're doing here, but what I do have is a childlike faith. And I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to cling to you. It doesn't mean we're childish, but it does mean it's the simplicity of a profound faith in a glorious God. And that is something we treasure and highly value in this place. Jesus said this in Matthew 18. The disciples came to him and said, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Man, what a challenge. What are they on? <laughs> it's Jesus. And they say, who's the greatest, Jesus? Not even thinking that they might be slightly lower than Jesus. They say, who's the greatest? And he calls him to him a child, puts him in the midst, says to you, unless, and says to them, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Friends, we come with humility. We come with a sense of, Jesus, you, I'm trusting you. He is impressive, we're not. And we just say, God, we love you, and we're going to walk with you, and we're going to trust you. So friends, we really highly value L plates in this place. We are always learners. There's not one of us who's got it all together in this room. We just say, God, I'm walking with you. I'm going to do the best I can. So just take my life and use it for your glory. That's childlike faith. But being youthful also means we're willing to change things if it means we can reach more people for Jesus. This is so important for us at the moment, isn't it? It means at times we will sacrifice personal preference or convenience if it means kingdom gain. So Paul writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9, and says this, Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. 
To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So to win those under the law. To those who have not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I'm now under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. That is the heartbeat of this house. All things for the sake of the gospel. And so as we step into multi-service, it's going to be change. It's going to be a stepping into a new thing. And we're doing it for the sake of the gospel. We're not doing it with where we're at now. We're doing it for where we believe God will take us in the next five, ten years. It is all about those who don't yet know Jesus. So I want to challenge us to say, God, I want to be youthful in my attitude. I never want to take the L plates off. But I want to change things and step into things. We don't ever change truth, but we can change the outworking of that truth depending on the context that we're in, if that makes sense. Are you with me? Are we in this for the loss? I want to see my friends saved this year. There's only a few months left. I've been praying, God, make this the year. Are you? Or are you so wrapped up in our own lives that we've got no time for the gospel and for those who don't yet know him? When we're thinking about Christmas, are we just, oh, others will do that. Why don't we do it together and go on an adventure and just see what Jesus is going to do? And so we value youthful. Are you guys still with me? Good. Then the next value is relational. And this is what we love. This church is, is always about family. Every generation. And, and I think Dan's going to come and talk about it's being generational. International. Every nation. It's not an English church. This is God's church. We want every nation welcomed here, adoring Jesus here. There's no monopoly on Jesus. He's the king of the nations. And relationally means we are a family together. And this does not happen automatically. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. All that we do is relational. Firstly, it's relational because we want to see people fall in love with Jesus. We want them to come into a relationship with Jesus. But we also want people to grow in that relationship. If you're not more mature in your walk with Jesus today than you were three years ago, if you were a Christian three years ago, then there's something that's slightly missing in your walk with Jesus. We're to to go from one degree of glory to another. We're to go on a journey with the King. And our value in this place is that we want to deepen relationships with Jesus. But we also want to deepen the sense of going out and introducing others to Jesus. So all our outreach isn't about Bible bashing or smacking them over head and saying, you've got to be forgiven, although they need to be forgiven. It's about an introduction to a relationship with the king, and that, in, that relationship is infinitely more satisfying than anything the world can offer. And so our outreach is relational. But throughout the New Testament, we see Local churches made up of a whole spectrum of people through the work of the Holy Spirit becoming family. 
Over 40 times in the New Testament, there's an appeal for one another. We're to pray for one another, encourage one another, confess to one another, admonish one another. We're to bear with one another in love. All of these verses speak of intimacy, relationships, how a church is about being part of a family and a community and not an event to attend, but a family to belong to. And this is something we highly value in a life. This is a relational place. I, we want this, everyone in this church, no matter how big we are, to at least have friends, at least one friend in this place, but they can grow in relationships with people. And, and friends, can I just challenge us on this? If we only talk to the same people all the time, you're going to stunt the growth of this church. If, the, if it's the same people you speak to at the end of the service, if you never speak to anyone else, there'll be people who come into this place who desperately need a loving word of encouragement, a welcome. We are the welcome team. The host team do an amazing job, but we are the welcome team because we highly value relationships. Let me apply this in two ways. The first is it means being relational in how we deal with conflict just as the Bible commands us to. Conflict and tension is inevitable because we're broken people. You'll never find a perfect church. It's, it's made up of imperfect people where tension, misunderstanding, all that stuff will rise up because we are a broken set of people held together by grace and saved and all that stuff. But here is what the New Testament teaches about dealing with with conflict. There's two passages that we go for that brings us seven principles. The first passage in Matthew 18, verse 15 says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Firstly, go to the person face to face. I don't think Jesus would say even today, write an email or write a letter. There's something about a face-to-face, eye-to-eye meeting that actually conveys your heart in a way the written word never can. The amount of times I've, I've pro- written an email in, 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 when I've had a bit of a downer, and then I've not sent it because I'm thinking, oh, that's such a rubbish way of saying it. And I've said, rung up the person, let's meet face-to-face, let's talk. Jesus is saying, meet face-to-face. If you have an issue with someone, share it firstly with the person you've got an issue with before you share it with anyone else. Whew, big one. If you've got an issue with someone else in this church, you go and tell them first. If you've got an issue with someone in this church and you're particularly vulnerable and broken about it, I would say maybe tell one other person, but with a commitment to then going to speak to that person. When someone comes to me with an issue with someone else, the first thing I say to them is, are you going to speak to them? Because in a sense, if you're not, you don't want a solution, you just want to gossip. And let me just say this. To say, I'm just telling you this to pray about it, doesn't make it not gossip. We've just got to be clear about this. I could feel the, come on God. But it's true. I've done it. (laughs) You've done it. Get over it. Be real. To go, uh, if there's nothing in our hearts of, I'm going to speak to that person and deal with it, then Jesus is saying, that is the starting point. The second thing is, look to win the person and not the argument. 
So important. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Our heart's intention and disagreements must always be to win the person and not win the argument. It's not about being right. It's about being loved and showing Jesus. We speak truth. We don't sort of bowl over and be doormats. But at the same time, being relational means I love you as a brother or sister in Christ. And I want to talk this through with you because I value your relationship with me highly. And I want to deal with this so that I can gain you as my brother and sister in Christ. The third thing, we, well, the next five we've seen, 2 Corinthians 6 verses 11 to 13, says this. The context is the Corinthians, there's a lot of tension with the Apostle Paul. And he writes this, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to you as children. Widen your hearts also. Again, just really quickly, so I'm going on a bit here. This is important stuff. Just a few things from that verse. Read it, jot it down, just chew on it. See if you think what I'm saying is true. Here's a few things I get from that verse. Come in compassion and love. I love this. Paul writes to this church in compassion and love and wanting God's best for them. He speaks to them as Corinthians. It's personal. He speaks to them as children in that verse. He's not saying they're being childish. He's saying, you're children of mine because I led you to Jesus. He's being relational. He's coming in compassion and love. When we're dealing with people we've got an issue with, we must recognize that they are deeply, gloriously loved by God. That they are people who are made in the image of God. Number four, be transparent and honest. Paul openly and honestly shared his heart. He uses this phrase, we have spoken freely to you. Literally, that reads, our mouth is open towards you. It's a very graphic and pointed way of describing a totally unrestrained, vulnerable frankness. And then he says, our heart is wide open. I'm being real. I'm being transparent. I'm being honest about how I feel and what I think. Number five, be prepared to correct any misunderstandings. Genuinely believe this. 90% of tension or conflict is to do with a misunderstanding. Just, Just to sit and talk can clear up that misunderstanding so quickly. You see, the misunderstanding we see in Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 11, 11, is this. They thought um, that Paul didn't love them. They thought that Paul had no time for them. And so Paul is here, in the Greek, he's using a, a figure of speech called litotes, which is really using a negative in order to emphasize a positive. And so when he says, you're not restricted by us, he's saying then, literally, I've not allowed you to be squeezed out of my heart. He's coming there and correcting a misunderstanding. Number six, identify the problem. Don't skirt around the issue, just say it as it is. And even if your perception and your perspective is wrong, it's better to be clear what your perspective and and, um, perspective is in order to correct it. So just be real. Lay all the cards on the table. Don't hold back in a sense, but be willing to recognize that your perspective may be wrong. Then finally, make a heartfelt appeal to move forward. So important. Paul writes, in return, widen your hearts also. He comes with a longing saying, I I want you to widen your hearts. We want to move on from this. There's a city of Corinth to be won for Jesus. 
And the reality is this, folks. Whatever you may have against other people in this church is nowhere near as important as the call to reach this town for Christ. The cause of the gospel trumps personal preferences and gripes every time. And we must deal with this stuff. Very, very important. And so part of a healthy culture is being relational. And part of being relational is dealing with conflict and tension Jesus' way, not our way. Application number two. It means being relational in how we speak to one another. Words are exceptionally powerful and significant. Solomon writes in the book of Proverbs, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruits. So we have the power to speak life and death over the people, as it were, with our tongues. And being relational means that we want our words to build up and impart life rather than to knock down and impart hurt. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica and says this, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you're doing. This should be the most faith-filled community in town, where we come in and we say, keep going, he's worth it, where we actually encourage one another, we affirm one another, we honour one another. We say, come on, let's run into all that Jesus has for us. Being relational means we refuse to gossip behind people's backs. To another church in Ephesus, Paul says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. One of the checks I always tell myself is this, Am I willing to say what I'm about to say face to face with that person, that if I've got an issue with them I should be doing, or am I just gossiping about it behind their backs? It's so human nature to do that, that let's not be naive enough to think we, shouldn't, we haven't done that at times. And the Bible is clear. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. Let's build each other up in the faith. We want to be relational. It's part of our culture. And then finally, and if the band want to come up to give people hope that I'm finishing, are you guys still with me? This is a good one. You're probably thinking he's a bit heavy now. This is a good one. Well, they're all good. So that's a stupid thing to say. We want to be supernatural. We highly value the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We want the culture of this house, and it is, and I thank God for it, that whenever we gather in connect groups, whenever we gather on Sunday mornings, whenever we gather at Revive, whenever we gather at youth groups, whatever it is, if we're gathering as a community of people, we're coming expecting the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to be among us. This isn't an event to attend. We want this to be in place where a God is encountered. And I want to encourage you, as we come together, come in faith, come with a sense of, God, I want everything you have for me as we gather. Sam Storms puts it this way. The Spirit comes to us as a fire, either to be fanned into full flame and given the freedom to accomplish His will or to be doused and extinguished by the water of human fear, control and flawed theology. In all that we do, we want to cry, come, Holy Spirit. Nothing is going to happen here unless God does it. 
We can't speak to hearts. We can't speak to souls. We can't transform lives from the inside out. Only Jesus does that. And so we want to continually come back and say, God, unless you turn up, this isn't going to happen. God, unless you move, this multi-service thing is going to go pear-shaped. And I want to continue to be stepping into things that unless God shows up, nothing's going to happen. And so this morning, these five values we've looked at, I want to encourage you, a culture where a church is generous, it's entrepreneurial, constantly moving forward, a youthful church, not in age, but in faith-like, childlike faith, a church that's relational, a church that is supernatural. I thank God for this church, genuinely do. If I wasn't the pastor here, I'd be here. I give 20 hours overtime every week to this location. And I don't saying that to blow my trumpet at all. I'm just saying that we're in this together. It's unpaid, by the way, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> it's because I love you. And we're in this together. And there's a town to be loved and reached. We've been through so much. And there's so much more for us to be in, walking into. And every single person in this room has got a call of God upon their lives to walk with him into it. And the culture of the house, let's value these things. Let's protect these things. Let's challenge and sharpen each other up if we're not doing stuff that is in line with this value that we're saying. So should we stand together? I'm going to pray. And this morning, I want us to use a prayer that we use every week, and then we're going to go into a time of song worship. But it's a prayer of giving your life to Christ. And maybe there's someone in this room, you've never personally given your life to Jesus. You've heard about him, you've thought about him, but you need to know he died for you. He took on that cross, your sin, your shame, everything that disconnects you from knowing him. And he's saying, come and trust me and come into a relationship with me today. And so it's a prayer we're going to say together. And I encourage those of us in this place who just need to recommit our lives to Jesus to use this prayer too. So let's pray this prayer this morning together. Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now because you are alive today. I admit that I have lived my life without you and have messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness and I commit myself to you. Help me to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. I receive you into my life and I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. And with our heads bowed, as maybe there's somebody who's prayed for the very first time. I'd love to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to pray for you. One of our hosting will connect with you afterwards. But maybe there is. Someone here prayed for the very first time. Just put your hand in the air. I'm going to pray for you, and then we'll move into the time of song worship. No. Okay. Let's just go and enjoy the Lord. Bless you. Pray the blessing of God over you. Pray a new start in your life. The old has gone, the new has come.
I pray, Father God, that you would just thrill this man with the truth that you have forgiven him totally, eternally. And I pray a great, great future into your life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Let's go for it.